preach this morning. I pray that you would help me to um, be faithful to what the text says and um, help me to um, just just try to reflect it accurately and and uh, um, just with love and grace. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, we are starting a new series. We are going to be talking about grace. Um, this is the very last uh, sermon on John. Um, we have been preaching, or I, we've been working our way through John for the last, I don't know, was it like three months? Um, for a while now. Um, we've been working our way through John, and we are um, now at the very last, like, five verses, and I actually flirted with the, or seven, it's seven, but two are a repeat from last week. Um, I, I flirted with the idea of skipping over these last five verses, because there's, it's just five verses. I mean, it's just this tiny little chunk, and I, I decided there was uh, some good stuff there worth, uh, worth looking at, and as we dive into it, I, I kind of, it's hard to explain grace. Um, I, the best example I could come up with this morning, oh, a coloring book. I was like, what's Jess doing? Um, the best example I could come up with this morning is um, when Titus was born, which is about two years ago, um, Titus was, uh, was not, I mean, Jess has hard labors, and I tease her about it and say, oh, it looked easy and everything else. I am so happy I'm a man. Um, and particularly when I watched that because it was a long labor and we were exhausted when we came home and, um, there was, I mean, it was just, it was so much. And then all of a sudden, um, have any of y'all ever had a new baby in your house? They, uh, they should just come with a little sign around their neck that says you will not sleep again. You know, it'll be months before you get, and he like, I mean, it was just so much. And Jess is like, you know, physically exhausted, and so I'm taking care of her, I'm taking care of the baby, I'm taking care of Abby, and I'm, and, and um, this church, it does this thing that I appreciate. We, we had meals brought to our house, right? And it, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but like when you can barely keep up and somebody sticks their hand out and pulls you out of the water, like, like when you're kind of barely keeping your head out of it, I mean, that's something, isn't it? Um, I, we even had somebody bring um, steak and lobster, um, it was it was fantastic, um, and and Mexican food and I mean we we ate so much during that time it was great, and and um, it, it's one of those things I I always struggle with that because it's hard for me to say thank you for like stuff that's so like that means so much does that make sense? And I I got that sense reading reading Charlene's letter and and um, and listening to to Roberta talk this morning and and. And, and I just got this sense of, like, it's hard sometimes when people do things for you and, and you, you, you can't do anything to pay it back and you didn't do anything to earn it. People just do it because they love you. Um, and that's huge, isn't it? Um, that's grace. Grace is a gift you receive that you cannot possibly earn and do not deserve, but it is given to you um, out of love. Sorry, guys, who I put on the spot there. I didn't mean to do that. I did mean to do it, but I... Um, I'm saying sorry now instead of asking for permission. Um, and, and, you know, like even like with the food, I, it's so hard to even just say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and to, to put it into words how much it means, right? Um, and that's grace. We're going to be looking at grace, and we're going to start off right here at the tail end of John. Um, and, and we're going to get a – it's going to be the hard lesson first. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> As, as we kind of dive into it, here's the background. We've been working our way through John. This is the very end. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has been risen from the dead. Um, he has appeared to the apostles twice. 
Um, and, and now it's the third time, right? And in the third time, he um, appears on the beach in Galilee. They're fishing, and he um, sort of recreates the first miracle he performs with Peter. Peter had denied him three times, like swore up and down that he had never, ever met Jesus. And like, um, Jesus reinstates him. You know, grace forgiven. Peter didn't deserve it. Peter didn't earn it. Jesus forgives him just in the moment, on the spot. And there's no words to express the thank you, like, like for that kind of forgiveness. And, and I'm, I'm certain some of you all here, like, or, well, pretty much all of you all here, should have come from a place, you know, where you know that you sin, right? All of us sin. All of us fail. All of us rebel against God. All of us pick our own way and pick gods that aren't him. We all do it. Um, and we don't deserve to be forgiven for that. But God forgives us, and you can't even, you can't say thank you enough for it. You can't say thank you big enough. You can't even pay it back. It'd be like me going around with money and trying to pay off people who gave us meals. You know, here's, here's you know, thank you so much. It, it would almost be insulting, right? Um, this is the degree of grace that Peter has received. And um, there's some oddball theories that surround this end section of the book. We're not going to go t- too deep into them, um, but just be aware I may bring some up. Um, um, in particular, it's probably the case that John wrote this um, at the end of his life, right? John was probably in his 90s. He was living in Greece in the very end of his life. Um, he may have gone to prison after this point, but um, he had to be talked into writing his story by the elders in his church. We know that from one of the uh, early church fathers wrote that you know, he, he had to be talked into it, and he wrote this. And whether the end was written, um, I'm going to argue, like I think it was written by John at the very end of the book. It's possible that um, John had somebody that he dictated and that the dictation guy wrote the end. It's probably, I don't buy that I, for a handful of reasons. But like the very end is a little funny, and we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, in advance of this, as we come into this story, Peter had bragged to, to Jesus at the Last Supper. He said, look, I would die for you. I will go anywhere. I will die for you. And then he, like, doesn't. Got it? Like, he is big mouth guy, right? I relate to Peter. I love him because um, I feel that way a lot. Um, Peter has been reconciled. Um, and the other thing is that um, Peter and John throughout the book, and it's something we haven't talked about, um, most theologians think that there was a rivalry. Got it? Like Peter and John, or it was their three closest followers to Jesus were Peter, James, and John. And we always see Peter and John right next to each other in the clutch, right? Um, at the Last Supper, Peter leans over and asks John, like, hey, who's going to betray Jesus? Ask him, right? And John is, like, closer to Jesus, so he has to use an inner, you know, talk to John to talk to Jesus. And um, when they race to the tomb, the empty tomb, John mentions who was leading the race and, like, who got there first, John got there first, by the way, since he mentioned it. Um, There are all these little hints that John and Peter may have had some rivalry. And we know that Peter had a tendency to be a little petty, right? Because, like, we know that Peter would brag about how great a Christian he was and how he was the greatest of the followers and how in heaven he would be the one who got the special attention. And, you know, even then he's, oh, I would die for you, these other guys, you know. And Jesus kind of plays on that, actually, when he recommissions Peter. He says, hey... Peter, do you love me more than these other guys love me? And Peter's not so bragging anymore, right? Because he's already, like, he cussed out a little girl saying he didn't know Jesus. Like, it's hard to be really braggy at that point. Um, And so there's kind of a rivalry there, and that's going to come into play in a second. 
Um, this is not 1 through 19. It should be 18 and 19. We looked at this verse briefly last week, but we're going to touch on it again. Um, truly, truly, I say to you, this is the very end, Peter um, has just been sort of forgiven and reset up, and Jesus kind of closes it out. Like Peter says, look, I love you so much. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This was to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, um, we, we talked about this a little bit. We're going to talk about it a little more. Um, Jesus actually takes a common phrase from the era, right? where um, young men kind of go where they want and old men need help, right? And it's sort of a, it's sort of a, a phrase that was common. Um, what Jesus says to him is, listen, now that you're young, you'll do what you want. When you're old, you won't. Um, Jesus repurposes the phrase to say, look, you know, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be tied up. He uses the phrase, um, you will stretch out your hands, right? Um, that doesn't sound like a big deal. Like it, in our culture, it's not like huge. In that culture, um, stretching out your hands was a way of saying crucified, right? Like you would stretch out your hands like, I mean, it was not a nice thing. And so when Jesus says this, he like basically says, look, you're going to be crucified, buddy. Like it's coming. And so he reveals that out of the gate, um, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And so he says, listen, um, you bragged before. You, you boasted. You, you know, look at how awesome I am. You, you put yourself out there as being the guy who was going to do everything for me. And now that I've done everything for you, right? And Jesus actually replies and Peter says, hey, I'll do anything. I'll die for you. And Jesus responds, would you really? <laughs> would you really die for me? Because Jesus is about to die for him. And he died for all of you. Like each one of us, we rebel, we brag, we get prideful, we do bad things. And Jesus still died for us because he loves us that much. And so like he says, listen, you brag before, but I'm going to tell you it's coming. Um, the day is coming when you will die for me. Now, there's an important difference here. Before, Peter said it, Right? I can say anything I want. I remember I met a guy when I was in college who told me, God has given me a direction. I will go and I will create a giant media empire. That's what I'm going to do because I prayed and I think that's what God wants me to do. In reality, a lot of times people pick the direction they think God wants them to go. And I think God kind of laughs at us. Sound right? Because God decides what he's going to do for us. And so when Peter bragged and said, this is what I'm going to do, ultimately the things that we can do, God doesn't need it. Got it? Like, I, I preach every Sunday, if I wasn't here doing it, somebody else would do it, right? And they would probably do it better than me. They would definitely do it better than me if God wanted them to, right? When I say things that, like, pierce your heart and you're like, hey, it's like you're sitting in my living room. Most of the time, that's Jesus, right? Like, that's God speaking to you, ain't me. God does his own work for himself. We are willing vessels, but God does the work. Got it? So when Peter brags... He brag all he wants, right? Um, in reality, God doesn't need Peter to do anything. God will do all of the work for him. Um, and so now Jesus announces to Peter that he would die for him, right? 
And last time around, Peter tried to do it on his own strength. And as Peter goes to the cross, in the end, he goes to the cross like in, in Christ. Like, like God's Spirit fills him up and he's able to do it. And that's what gives him the ability. Did Peter deserve help from God? No, he didn't. Did Peter deserve to be forgiven? Did Peter deserve anything? Not really, right? The first encounter he has with Jesus, he is such a bad guy. He turns around, he drops to his knees, and he's like, whoa, back up, buddy. I'm a bad guy. You don't want to be near me. Um, it sort of rings in my head like folks who walk in the door and say, well, building hasn't been struck by lightning yet, neither have I. You know, it must be a good day. You know, it, it, God doesn't need our best, Right? He wants us to love him. He wants us to be willing. He wants us to pursue. But the best work we accomplish is accomplished through him. Why do I say that? Well, we're going to get into this. Like as Jesus says, follow me, it's possible. There's a couple ways this could be read. It's possible that Jesus gets up and says, all right, come on. And they start walking, right? Some theologians read it that way. Um, I think Jesus, when he says, listen, follow me, like obey, you know, get back up, do the job you're here to do. I think they're sitting around the fire, right? Um, Either way, Peter turns and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John, the author. We know there's a rivalry, right? And so Peter's told, look, you are going to glorify God in the end. And Peter finally gets his moment in the sun, though it was probably like tempered a little bit. You know, hey, I'm going to glorify God by being nailed to a piece of wood. You know, it was probably a little bit of a tempering there. But Peter gets what he wanted. I get to glorify God. And he turns around and he sees the other guy. And how does he respond? Well, um, Peter turned, whether he's sitting at the fire and he turns and points at John or they're walking along the beach and John decided to hop up and follow. Peter turns and sees the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Um, the one who had also who also had leaned back against him during the Lord's Supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about that man? Why would Peter ask this? Well, he might have been curious. I'm going to suggest something a little different. Um, I think Peter looked at him and said, oh, well, if I'm going to glorify God, what about him? Is he going to do as good as me? And there's sort of this tendency in, in everyone, right? And I'm going to admit I am the worst about this, right? I, I, uh, I go to pastor's meetings in Kalispell um, once a month, and they go around and everybody shares what's going on in their church, right? And, and they, oh, we're up to this many people on Sunday, and we're doing this, and this is what's going on. And I usually sit there, and I bite my tongue really hard, and I try really hard not to say, hey, yeah, my church is bigger than y'all's. You know, um, I try not to say, yeah, you know, my sermons, they're better than you. I mean, like, there's this tendency, isn't there? I mean, especially, like, if you're the guy up front, it's easy to brag, right? It's easy to become prideful. It's easy to look at your own work and say, not only am I doing well, I'm doing better than all of you, right? So I love, love, love Big Sandy, right? Because I got no one to compete with here. I got no one to, like, I don't sit down with the other pastors and say, hey, how are you guys doing? We bigger than you? You bigger than us? I don't do I don't care, right? Like, you guys have done a good job of keeping me where I'm humble, and I love you for it, right? That is not an insult. It's actually, my wife has done a great job of keeping me humble in life, and I, one of the best gifts she's ever given me. Wow. 
So Peter looks and says, what about this man? Um, I'm going to argue there are a handful of ways this manifests. Um, ways believers tend to back up and compare themselves to others, right? And I'm, I'm, we're going a little more topical this week. Um, sometimes we compare our blessings, right? I am blessed because I have a beautiful wife. And I have beautiful children. Somebody commented on my Facebook page that I'm a blessed man. And I, I wake up every morning and realize I have better than I deserve. Right? Um, it's easy for me to look at people around me and say, well, but that guy makes more money. Or, but, hey, what about that guy's family? His kids don't have temper tantrums over wearing a dress this morning. That wasn't Titus. I don't look at the people around me and say, oh, well, they've got their whole lives in front of them. Or, look, they've got already financially secure and they've got a new car. Or, look, they, you know, it, it, there's a tendency to want to do that, isn't there? Have any of y'all ever looked at your brothers and sisters around you and said, you know what, God, you're doing better by them than you're doing by me? It's easy to do, isn't it? The problem with this way of living, um, this way of, of operating is... Um, basically, we look at the blessing, at the grace, because I don't have a family because I deserve one. I have a family basically because God gave me one and I'm blessed, right? Um, it's easy to look at the blessings I receive and say, you know what, God, you should have given me a little more. And I feel like my kids, right? He got a bigger cookie. She got more popcorn. He got, <laughs> anybody ever watch your kids do that? Um, but that's the attitude of the heart when we compare our blessing and say, but what about that guy? Why does he get more? And as Peter looked over at him, you can almost hear the pettiness. Hey, I'm going to glorify you. What about John? <laughs> I'm going to die like this death for you. What about John? Um, we compare history. We look at the people around us and say, well, God has given you better. And so you don't understand. You know, we gripe about, I had somebody once say to me, like I was talking about how I came to Jesus, and the guy says to me, man, you've got a great story. I wish I had a better one. <laughs> really? You wish God had dealt with you differently? Like, he saved you. <laughs> God, I wish you would have just saved me better. Doesn't make very much sense, does it? Um, but there's a jealousy that sets in. I've listened to people, and I will admit that I've done it myself, where, like, I tell my stories, and sometimes they get bigger. They texanize. Less so in the last few years because God has brought me to a place of humility. Thank you all. Um, I can't tell you how much of a blessing y'all are to me. Um, but we compare history. We compare, compare successes, right? Oh, look at how well I've done with this. Look at how quickly I overcame that sin in my life. Hey, I don't struggle with that, but you do. Hey, I'm spiritually deep. Hey, I've read the Bible all the way through. Hey, I know a little like Greek, which I don't actually, so I can't even brag about that. I have more education. I have more of this. I have more of that. And you aren't as good as me, right? And there's a tendency, and we see Peter doing this in the moment. He looks over and says, what about that guy? Is he going to get to do what I get to do? Um, we compare spiritual gifts. This is a fight all throughout the church. Um, like the early history where you see these guys who are like, hey, I'm the preacher, so I'm the best. Hey, I speak in tongues, so I'm the best. Hey, I'm a prophet, so I'm the best. Hey, I'm this. And these guys would all fight with each other, and they all split up. And Paul writes them and is like, hey, you know what? All of your gifts are worthless if you don't have love, right? That's 1 Corinthians 13. Everybody reads it at weddings, and they think it's all about like, oh, it's sweet and wonderful to love. It's actually, hey, you know what? If Jesus is in you, you're going to love each other, and that's more important than anything else you do. 
right? You may get up and preach great sermons. You may sing great songs. I can't. Um, you may do these things great, but at the end of the day, love is, love is it. Love is the spiritual gift we get that is worth having. Um, I'm sure there's one other one. <laughs> we compare calling. I had somebody say to me recently, um, Eric, you could probably like earn your way up and, and work in a megachurch. You could probably, like, you got, you got this going for you, you got this going for you. If you played your cards right, you could be a guy who, like, pastors a church of a thousand people. You could do that. And I, I said to him, I said, you know what? The people that are in my congregation are people that God loves more than anything. These are people that Jesus bled and died for. I am, you know, a thousand people is a thousand people, and it may make me feel arrogant, right? But I'd rather serve these people if I was doing what God wanted me to do because God's calling is for me to care for y'all, right? I'm humble bragging. That's a terrible thing. I'm not intending to do that. Um, we compare calling. Why does that guy get to be a preacher and I've got to be the guy in the back? Why does that guy get to sing and I sound like a horse being tortured? Um, I do. It's pretty bad. Ask my wife. Um, there are all these things that we do. What's the problem with this? First off, it's me-focused, right? It's all about me. Um, when I look at you and I say, I am better than Jimmy, I don't at all, actually. <laughs> um, I pick the guy that I'm like, man, I wish I could be more like Jimmy. Um, I'm not really loving Jimmy when I'm saying I'm better than him, right? Um, there was this tendency in the early church, like, or actually pre-church, Jewish men, when they would pray, there were a handful of things that were a common prayer. One of the first things that they would say in prayer is, God, thank you for the blessing that I am not a Gentile. Thank you for making me Jewish. Thank you for making me not a sinner like those guys. And thank you, God, that I'm not a woman. <laughs> because the assumption was, because I have these things going for me, I'm better than them. Right? What we learn in the church is, in Jesus Christ, there is no longer, is it Jew nor Greek, male nor female, um, God, free your slave. God takes these divisions away because you know what? Jews don't deserve grace more than Greeks. Women don't deserve grace less than men. Um, none of us deserve grace at all. And so if we're all on the same level when we receive God's grace, none of us can compare with each other. Got it? Um, there's no love in looking at the people around you and saying, hey, um, I'm better than you, or look at me, or why am I? Um, our calling is to love. And the second thing is that it like minimizes grace. It creates division in the body. Um, it tends to push people away, right? I had this pastor in Indiana would cite the wheat and the tares, right? Anybody have weeds in your garden or in your fields? They do happen, right? Um, this This man plants his fields and uh, a villain comes in the middle of the night and plants weeds. Um, and his servants come to him and say, hey, there are weeds. Should we just pull them up? And he says, nope, leave them all. Leave them all to the end. He said, then burn the weeds and bring the weed in. Um, that may be a terrible farming method. But in the church, we look around and when we compare, we may assume, I know that Renee, she's a weed. Or that John, he's a weed. At the end of the day, I don't know what a weed is and what a, what a weed is, right? Like, I don't get to decide what's in man's heart. I don't get to decide any of that. 
Um, God calls me to love my brothers and sisters in Christ, to love y'all and to serve y'all, and that is my job. And that's essentially what Jesus says to him in verse 22. He says, Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Basically, to like summarize it, he says, hey, Peter, it's none of your business. Don't worry what's going to happen to John. Worry about yourself. And I think Peter, like John, Jesus looks in Peter's heart and recognizes that Peter's in this spot where he's like, am I going to be better than that guy? And in the end he says, mind your own business, Peter. You follow me. You do your job. You follow me. And actually Peter barely even like redeemed, barely even set back up, and he jumps right back into it. Isn't that crazy? Um, Which I'm good at, by the way. I don't know about y'all. Like, I I want things for me. Um, As we uh, jump in, like, thus the ministries of Peter and John. This is from a commentary. I pulled it out. I love it. Thus the ministries of Peter and John would be different. Peter would be the shepherd, John the seer. Peter would be the preacher, John the penman. Peter, the foundational witness, John, the faithful writer. Peter would die in agony and passion of martyrdom. John would live to a great age and die or pass away in quiet serenity. Um, They took different paths and neither was greater than the other. Um, What made them anything was Jesus in them. What makes us anything is Jesus in us. I'm not good because I'm better at not sinning than y'all. And actually, I'm not very good at not sinning. Ask my wife. She'll tell you all about it. Um, I'm picking on her so much. I'm sorry, honey. I love you. Um, I'm not better than y'all because I've got education. I'm not better than y'all because I have pastor in front of my name. Um, I'm one of y'all, right? All of us are one of each other because Jesus in us is what gives us value, right? John and Peter went separate directions. They did their own thing. Married people are not better than single people in churches, Right? There's this attitude in churches where people become older and we're not that interested in having them around. It does happen. I've been in church growth conferences where they said, listen, it's okay to target your ministry at young married people. It's not like you're sinning because you're just going after these people. You're just targeting. And ultimately what you're saying is these people are more desirable than these people. Right? Ultimately, everybody, everybody in this place is valuable to Jesus beyond words. Um, Romans for just as we have many members but one body all the members do not have the same function so we who are many are one body in Christ individual members of one individually members of one another like what's he saying here he's saying listen um, saying that Craig may glorify God through his photography but it's okay that I can't do that because I got my job right He's saying that um, Michael gets to serve the men at the men's home and he gets to glorify God by doing that better than, than, um, than he would do if he didn't love Jesus, right? And I don't get to do that because i got a different job, and that's okay. Um, he's saying that the Andersons get to raise kids that are going to bring glory to God in the way they live, and not everybody gets to do that, but that's okay, Right? All of us have a different calling, but we're all a part of each other. Um, Ephesians 2, 1 to 4. 
So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one body. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not on his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What's Paul saying? He's saying, listen, if you're going to have any joy in Christ, look at the people around you and realize like the best place to stand is as a servant and looking at them and saying, you're better than me, I need to serve you, right? Does it mean they are? Actually, we're all on the same level. I'm not going to lie. But like we get in trouble when we point grace at ourselves and judgment at others, right? Our job is to point judgment at ourselves and grace at others. We examine ourselves and do better. And we love each other even though we have warts, right? Even though we have bad histories, even though we fail occasionally, even though we um, may not be pretty is my problem. Um, even if we, you know, all of these things, I said I wouldn't say things like that anymore, and I did anyway. And so even though I speak too loosely occasionally and sinful things come out of my mouth, um, yeah, <laughs> um, love each other. Why? Because you've received grace, because you don't deserve it, because your job is to share that grace with the people around you. Everybody with me? Everybody still awake? All right. Uh, Verse 23. A rumor begins, right? So the saying spread abroad amongst the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say this to him, um, that he would not die. But um, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? It's a funny thing. People heard that story and they assumed that like, John was going to be alive when Jesus returned, right? And John goes around and says, listen, people, that's not what he said. (laughs) Um, Especially as John is nearing the end of his life. He's like 90-something, and like that probably built a lot of anticipation. Like, wow, John's living a long time. Must be that Jesus is going to come back, right? (laughs) And John's telling people, listen, that's not what he said. He said, I'm going to die or I'm going to die, and that's his business, not yours, right? Actually, I saw, and this is weird, I was a little kid before I knew Jesus, I was a little kid, I think I saw an episode of Highway to Heaven where they had John the Apostle appear as somebody who never died. Not what he's saying. John died probably in prison, right, before Jesus came back. Um, Interestingly enough, in prison, John wrote a book called Revelation. If you read chapter 1, there's this great account of John sitting there in his cave that was his home in this prison and Jesus showing up and talking to him. And so there's kind of a Jesus showed up again and talked to him, and there's a little joke built in there if you think about it. Um, Just saying. Um, So John basically tosses out there, listen, Jesus said what he said. I'm not any better than you guys, right? Don't hang your hat on me. Hang your hat on Jesus. This is... This is 24 and 25, very end of the book. This is the last of John you're going to hear for a little while. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did where every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books um, that would be written. There's a couple levels to this. John closes it out saying, first off, don't hang your hat on me. Number two, be aware, Jesus did that much. If you're going to look at anyone, I'm not even going to include my name. Um, look to him. And so as we close up this week, as we 
finish. We're talking about grace, and we're going to talk about grace the next few months. Um, my challenge for you is to begin by looking at the grace you've received, right? You don't deserve it. You don't. Paul says that we're all objects of wrath by nature, meaning that God has this anger stored up for us over our wickedness. Um, and that God loves us and sends his son to die for us anyway. Um, you've received grace in that. You've received grace that you live in a country where you're not persecuted. I, I asked Jeremy to pray about that this morning. There was a video that came out this morning of Ethiopian Christians in Libya being executed. Like, we don't live that way. Um, we don't live like the Chinese church where, like, any day that they're preaching on a Sunday morning, they could be dragged out and disappear. It just happened quite a few times in the last year. You've been blessed. You've been blessed with food every day, and that's a blessing. Be thankful for the grace God has poured on you. Um, and turn it into something that gives you, like, an abundance of grace to pour out on other folks. I look back on my history, and I know I've failed worse than probably anybody in this room. Um, and I'm not bragging. I'm a bad guy. Like, I've done some wicked things in my life, and God has loved me anyway and has given me grace anyway and has changed me despite me to make me into a, a person who's more like Jesus than I was then, not because I'm awesome, but because he's awesome. You're in the same place. I have grace to give because I've gotten something I don't deserve. And I'll forgive anybody who wrongs me. I'll love you if you say nasty things to me. Um, don't do mean things to my wife. That would be a problem. Um, but I could probably even give you grace for that, right? My challenge for you this week is to look at the mountain, the ocean of grace he's poured out on your life and recognize that you don't even have to fear dying tomorrow. You don't have to fear being hungry because if you're hungry you can know him more through it. You don't have to fear your own past. You don't have to fear being alone. You don't have to fear anything. You don't have to be ashamed because he's forgiven you. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just help us to look on our, on our blessing, Lord. Help us to look on the, on the grace you bestowed on us, this, you know, that despite the fact that we are your enemies at one point, that you sent your son to die for us. Um, Thank you so much. Help us to be aware of our grace. And Lord God, help us to share that grace with others. Um, help us to hand it out like, like, uh, like Valentine's cards, honestly, Lord. Help us to give our heart to each other and just, just help us to be people of grace and love. Um, let this be a wake-up call, a, a ringing alarm on our, on our soul, Lord, this morning, that we be reminded that we've been given more than we deserve and we need to be thankful for it and not lament not lament our station or our loss and not lament um, the hurt that we have and not lament um, other people's failures or other people's blessings. Lord, just help us to stand alone and follow you, um, filled in your grace as one body. Um, amen.